Good morning, everyone. Before kids are dismissed, I want to just call attention to the thermometer over here. We've been raising money for the Polar Plunge. On the counter over here are some envelopes if you want to take them so you can keep tabs of all the monies coming into it. There is a form here that you can have people sign. There's even a QR code that they can scan and send the money right into the church account so that it can be done where you don't have to carry cash. What we're asking is if you are doing this, remember, it doesn't have to be just from people in the church. Go to any and everybody, okay? That's fair. Somebody said, well, it's not fair. Vaughn is going to everybody outside the church. Because he loves Jesus. Okay? But please turn these in each week so we can get an accurate count of where we're at. As you can see, somebody's moved it and it is not right. Okay? So I just want to show you about where we're at because I got the totals from somebody who is bringing in money this week and then the stuff that's already in. So we are really at 1700 Which means Vaughn is jumping in and his granddaughter is joining him because she wants to. Um, Osric, you're getting cold, man. And then I'm going in with a chipmunk costume. So that's great. All right. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade. You are dismissed to walk. So this year, we are looking very intently at the entire life of Jesus. Before we can dive into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we need to look back at the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at Jesus in creation, um, his role in there, and we saw that he was very active, that Jesus was not just there, but he holds all things together. He is working then, he is working um, in the New Testament times, and he's working now, so God, Jesus is still working. Today, we're going to see Jesus, not just in the beginning of the Bible, but in the first few books of the Bible, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, there's a few names that uh, categorize these first five books. Um, they're known as the Torah. That is the Jewish way to, to talk about these. They can be called the Pentateuch. That's Greek for five. So it's the first five. And they can also be called the Law. Because in these are the most descriptive laws that God has given us, all of mankind. These first five books are traditionally thought to have been um, composed or written by Moses. They contain guidelines for religious life, for marital life, for family living, as well as guidelines for all of society so that we can live at peace. How many of you, put your hand up if you want to live in a world of peace? Now, moms are going to say peace and quiet, but we want peace, right? For people to live at peace, to, we need to act with love and justice. We need people of goodwill to have a common hope that the world would know peace so that they could live in that peace. We would want people to not live in fear, that there would be people like Hitler Stalin, terrorists, drug lords, corrupt politicians, all those would finally be a thing of the past. Wouldn't that be a great world to live in? 
that would be great, but instead, if we take a real look at the world, if we really are honest about it, if we take a real look, it seems like there is something inside people that makes us behave in a way not in peace, but in havoc and destruction. We would like to think that the Hitlers of this world are buried in the 20th century, but we know that bigotry, hate, greed still exist in this day. There's been a reassurgent of ethnic-based hatred in the past few years uh, when a bigot stormed the synagogue in Pittsburgh and killed 11 people shouting, All Jews must die. Anti-Semites and racists of all kinds are out there hoping and waiting for things like this to happen. Evil takes all kinds of forms, and evil always thinks it's right and won't be persuaded otherwise. Evil is very arrogant. And there's something inside of humans that makes us say and do terrible things, wreaking this havoc and destruction. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in two ways. You have the direct effect of evil. Like when someone steals from another person, they've done something very wrong. They've created injustice, and therefore they are owed something. It's a direct effect to that one person. And it should be paid back directly to that person, right? But then there's an indirect, an indirect way of evil effect. The person who has stolen has also damaged trust. Ruined the environment of the relationship, creating the lack of trust. Well, let's say that there was somebody who stole from their boss. Not only did they directly affect the store, but now they've directed the trust of all the relationship of the other um, employees. It's an indirect way. There's emotional damage. Daryl Brooks was found guilty of six counts of first-degree intentional homicide on on a Wednesday, this last Wednesday, for driving his SUV into a crowd of Christmas parade attendees in Waukesha, Wisconsin, last November. He killed six people, wounded dozens more. If you remember, on that Christmas parade, he drove his big SUV through the crowd intentionally. Now, the direct effect of evil, he killed some people and he in, um, injured several others. The whole community, though, was indirectly affected by this evil. There was fear, feelings of unsafe in this event. And, and this last year, when they had the parade, guess what they saw? Numerous people for security and safety. And you know, it took a little bit of the joy out of what they had because of this indirect effect of evil. Evil ruins the environment. Not just the people, it ruins the environment. And when evil completely runs amok, unchecked, you get a Hitler or ISIS who create chaos and war and death and suffering on a scale that no person could wrap their mind about. And we might think, hey, why doesn't God just fix it? Why, why doesn't he just destroy the evil? Why doesn't God do that? If he is so good, why doesn't he do that? Isn't that the question people so many times ask? If God is so good, why is there so much evil? I have heard that question many, many times. I've heard it from people inside the church as well as those outside of the faith. 
Because of this question, some people believe that because God doesn't destroy evil in the world, that means He isn't good or He doesn't exist. And they legitimately believe this. You'll hear that sometimes. But if we really get honest with ourselves, and I want us all to just peel back the layer of our Sunday morning goodness and actually look, okay? If we think about it, the evil I see everywhere else, the evil out there is the same evil in here. It's the exact same evil. Oh no, we're church people. I'm even wearing a tie, so I'm better today. But that's not true, is it? Every one of us, with the exception of a few of the babies, with the, I mean, with the exception of the babies. <laughs> Notice that? I caught that. They were like, which baby? <laughs> with the exception of these infants, we've all contributed to the problem of evil in this world, and we keep doing it. Many people ask this question. Many people use this question as a reason that I don't go to church or I don't believe in God. But this question has a very strong message in it that we, most people don't see. If we want God to get rid of all the evil, you and I won't be here. If we want God to get rid of all evil, none of us would exist. Now, God did get rid of a lot of the evil at one point. Um, the flood in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 is the story of God ridding the world of evil by destroying the world through this massive flood, but allowing a small remnant, Noah and his family, to survive. In verse uh, 11 through 13, Genesis 6, Now God saw the, world, uh, the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures. Notice, it was the people who were corrupt, but because of the indirect effect on creation, the evil has permeated and changed all things. So God's not destroying just people, but all living things, all creatures, for they have filled the world, the whole earth, with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. And then God brought about this global flood, destroying everyone but Noah and his family and two of every animal groups. God has chosen not to rid the whole earth of evil because it would mean ridding the whole earth of us. Noah was found righteous. But as soon as the flood is over, you can see that evil still lurked even in Noah. I challenge you to go read that and see that. We find because inside us, is what the Bible calls a sin nature. The Apostle Paul, the super-Christian, right? He himself turned from persecuting the church, trying to kill Christians, to being a chief leader in the church. And look what he says, this super-Christian, the one who's the pinnacle of all. Look what, what Paul says in Romans 7. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin that's living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. Wait a minute, I thought he was a Christian. Good does not dwell itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have desired to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. And this 
I keep doing. What he's saying is, I know what's right, I want to do what's right, and I choose evil. And I constantly choose evil. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me. So what he's saying there is, and because I keep choosing sin, it is the sin, the evil in me, that is keep resurging and keeps doing these things within me. Now, because of this, many people will say, Paul is excusing himself. He's saying, hey, I'm not sinning. It's the sinful nature in me. That is not what he's saying, okay? Paul is not doing that. He is actually identifying something inside him. He is saying, this sinful nature takes over because I allow it. I choose to allow this sin to lead. This sin nature, this evil is working against what I really want to do. I've heard church people say this. I've actually heard this. I am a good person. I don't struggle with sins like... And then listen, I'm a good person. I go to church and I don't struggle with pornography. I don't struggle with gossip. I don't struggle with lying. I don't. It's a lie. Let, let, let me just point it all out. You are all evil. I am evil. We have a sin nature in us. And if you declare, I don't have a problem with sin, well, you're lying. And that's a sin. Okay? So let's just lay it all out there. Anyone who thinks they're a good person is either an infant, because they're good, or you're delusional. I actually talked to a guy who said he thought he was Jesus. He didn't think it. He said, I am Jesus. And um, I'm like, no, you're not. Oh, I am. And so I, I had this big bucket at the work I was at, and I filled it with water. I said, well, stand on that. And he cussed at me and walked away. You are either an infant or delusional if you think you don't have problems with sin, with evil. Once you choose to sin, once you allow that sin to flood into your heart and mind, you are choosing to let sin lead you. So what do we do with this evil? Because we've all chosen to allow evil into our lives. What do we do with all this wrong that's directly in us and indirectly in the whole world? Well, that's why God gave us the first five books of the Bible. And in here, we're going to actually see the glimpse of what Jesus truly means to us. How many of you heard about the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, parents, your favorite one is what number? Five, that's right. So, here are the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or an idol, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. No idols. Three, you do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let me just... Clarify, that doesn't just mean when you smack your finger or do something bad, you say, oh, my Lord. That is not just the only way it is taken in vain. Another way is saying, oh, the Lord bless you, and you don't mean it. Anytime you talk about God and you don't mean it, it is in vain. Okay, so that's what that means. That's three. Four, um, four remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Five, honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land that your Lord God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Notice that's right after the kids one. Okay? 
Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. Ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything. That, don't covet what they have. Don't want their stuff. The first four in these ten are about your relationship, our relationship with God. The first four all deal with us and God. The other six are how we deal with each other. These ten... Guidelines for living would give us a world without evil. If we could follow these ten, our world would be perfect. We all want to live in a world of peace? Then follow these ten commandments. That's it. Just follow these ten, okay? And since we're such good moral people, and since we're all great Christian people, we should be able to follow them. So, Let's see. Who here has kept all ten commandments perfectly? We got a new... There's one right here. Look at that little boiled fish. She's perfect. You mean nobody in here except for this little one who looked at me like, why are you talking to me? No one in here has kept all ten? Fine. Okay, let's be a little great. How many here has kept nine perfectly? You bunch of heathen evil people. Surely, this wonderful, righteous group, there's got to be somebody who's kept nine. I'm not going to keep going. Because we don't want to be depressed and sad, do we? If we can't follow these ten basic commands for living, it is proof that we keep choosing evil. We cannot say, I'm a good person. You can't even keep these ten guidelines. God is tremendously good. We looked at that last year, actually. And since God is good, He must handle evil. Because goodness has to handle evil. But because God is good, see, He's good, so He has to handle it. But because He is good, He is going to find a way of doing it without destroying you and me. Because he's good, he has to handle evil. But because he's good, he's going to do it because in a way that doesn't destroy us. Genesis 3 shows this. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, this is right after the serpent tricked Adam and Eve, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live and here. Okay? And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. How many ladies here really love snakes? Yeah, this is why. Okay? Okay? And um, between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Satan, as a result of you bringing sin into my children here, God is saying, you're going to pay. You are going to be a pain. You're going to cause a little bit of pain on the foot. But guess what? Right here is the beginning of mankind knowing that one is coming and he will crush sin. Who is this one? That's Jesus. You want to know how Jesus is in here? Look, right here, he's saying right there. Jesus, the one who's going to be of our offspring, the one who's going to come, you're going to hurt his foot. He's going to stumble maybe a little bit, but he will crush your head. Fast forward a little bit. Mankind is introduced in, in the, the, later on in the chapters of Genesis 
to the practice of animal sacrifice. To us, we're not very familiar with this practice. It's a very strange thing for us to think about. But for the Israelites, it was a very powerful ritual and symbol of God's justice and His grace. We need to see both of that. It was God's justice and grace. We all choose to sin, right? We're all evil according to God's perfectness. We all contribute to the evil that is in the world, and because of that, mankind should be removed. Yet God allowed something through these animal sacrifices to be a substitute. It symbolically is dying in their place. The biblical word for this is atonement, which means to make restitution for or cover over. When God saved the Israelites in in Egypt, he had them put blood over, cover over the door frames so that there would be atonement, that the, the death angel would come and pass over them and not kill them. It was an atonement. It passed over them and the judgment didn't come there. It means something you do to show that you are sorry for your actions and you understood your actions have caused hurt, offended, and vandalized. When you allow something to cover over you, it's because you realize you have offended God. And this death, this blood must cover over it. It was necessary to do something that costs dearly to demonstrate that you painfully understand the cost of your evil actions. You didn't just go out and pick up any stray animal for a sacrifice. This is how we know this is a man-made idea. If, if I was going to create this and I wanted to do a sacrifice, you know what the animal would be? Yeah, it'd be cats. Because yeah. I'm allergic to them and they, they hurt my face. And they cost literally nothing. There's tons of them all over the place. But what did he actually have them sacrifice? Some of the guys are like, absolutely, amen. And the girls are like, that's not nice. But God said, take what? A perfect, the best lamb. Wait a minute. When you're showcasing animals in 4-H, you want a non-blemished animal. Why? It brings more money. An unblemished, a perfect-looking animal is worth money. And God says, take the best one and slaughter it because your sin has cost you. And you need to see that. You need to feel that it is painful. This is for the direct effect of sin on the sinner. This is for the direct effect for us sinners. But remember, there are two ways evil affects us, directly and indirectly. The second part of this ritual, the Bible describes our sins as polluting and defiling the land, making it very unclean. So the, the priest would symbolically wash away vandalism by sprinkling the blood all over the temple. Not just physically, but uh, remember this is also a symbol, okay? A symbol we're not used to. Blood represents life, and the sprinkling of the blood by the priest was a representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil, which is purification. So not only was there atonement of covering over you, but then there was the purification. 
many of us would really like to be pure? Pure and holy and clean and untainted. God's going to show us how that happens. God and His people were going to live together in peace if they could do these things. And since they couldn't do them, He provided this way of atonement and purification. And more than that, the Israelites experienced, because they got into these rituals, these practices, these symbols, it brought about a way for them to experience God's love and His grace. They cut themselves off from God because they chose sin. And then God stepped in and said, Here, do these so I can step back into you. You have left me, but I haven't left you. In fact, I'm going to prepare a way so that I can come to you. Being forgiven, receiving this forgiveness from God, ideally you think this motivate, motivate people to become people of love and grace again, wouldn't it? I mean, if you know you're forgiven... You know your sins and your penalties are taken away. Don't you think that would just spur us on to want to do better and to be the... Let, forget, I asked earlier, how many of you kept in perfect... Let's stop that question. How many of you, since you became a Christian, now that you know Jesus, now you've kept all ten perfectly? Nine of them. You see the problem here? We should become more loving and gracious and want to do that, but yet what do we choose? We still turn back and choose evil. It shouldn't happen, but that's what it is. God wants people who live in a loving relationship with Him, who have the Spirit of God living in them and moving in them and becoming lives of blessing and faithfulness that are impacting the rest of the world directly and indirectly. He can't do it because we keep stopping it. So then he provided this animal sacrifice to deal with the sins directly. But there was another thing he did. In Leviticus 16, it gives instructions to the Levites, the priests, to set aside two goats on the Day of Atonement. The first goat was meant to be the sacrifice, the direct effect of sins for the people. The second goat was to go in the wilderness. It's the scapegoat. Look what it says, verse 20 in Leviticus 16. When Aaron had finished purifying the most holy place in the tabernacle and the altar, then he must present the live goat, not the sacrificed one. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head, confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. How long do you think that took? It didn't say a few. It didn't say summarize. All of them. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specifically chosen for this task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself to a desolate land. So the penalty, the direct effect was paid for by the dead goat. But the sins, the indirect way, was taken away by the scapegoat. The direct effect of evil and the indirect was taken care of. And all of this was to help show the people that goats are not good enough. Because it wasn't perfect enough. It was a foreshadow of one who was going to come and crush the head of evil. Of Jesus, who was led like sheep to a slaughter, who would take on the iniquity of us all, as Isaiah prophesied. Before the foundation of the world, God planned this. 
This wasn't a, a secondhand thought. Before the foundation of the world, God planned to send His Son to this earth to bring about the peace that He truly wants with us through sacrifice and blood. First Peter 1. For you know that God paid the ransom. He paid the penalty, the ransom, to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. That means the sinful nature that we keep choosing to do. And it was not paid for with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. Right there. Wait, what? I thought Jesus came in in Matthew, in the Gospels. Before the world began. Before in the beginning. In the creation. Now we see that God is saying, I had a plan for your atonement. I had a plan for your purification. And I'm going to lay it all out. So that you can truly understand it. The Word of God, the Law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, shows us that God planned to send Jesus. Before you chose to sin, He already had a plan of redemption. The whole point of the law is to show us that God is good and we aren't. There is no way for us to reach perfection, to reach holiness. There is no way we can pay for our sins. There is no way a goat or a sheep can pay the price of my sin. This is how we see Jesus in the law. The law shows God's perfection and the evil that lives within us. And instead of demanding holiness right away, God provided a way for the people to see the pain and the penalty of their sins through these animal sacrifices while He prepared a way to take it on Himself. All through the law, we are shown that you cannot live up to God's standard of holiness. You cannot do it. In fact, mankind started putting in more rules to try and help us stay close to these rules. And you know what? It doesn't work. They say, you know, like, hey, speed limit's 55, but just to be clear, you can only do 50. Just in case you know you're not paying attention, and we're going to make it that way. Well, we really should make it about 48. That way you don't get up to the 50. You know what? Just stay home. That's what the man-made rules were really like. They added all these things and it took us away from the purpose of being pure in God to fulfilling rules that we cannot do. Remember what it said in Genesis. One is coming who will crush evil. One who has authority and power. Even through though this one will have power and authority, he will come as a rightful king, but he came... Not to wield that power, but to serve. Not just a servant, though. He would also suffer and die for evil committed by other people. He would take on the penalty of others. All those laws. Remember, all those laws were spoken aloud above that goat. Just so I want you to think about this. When Jesus was on the cross, can you imagine God putting His hands on Him and, and speaking aloud every single one of our sins as He places it on Him? That's a long time for Him to be on the cross for me. And all of this is talked about in the law. In the first five books, a life offered as a sacrifice, an atonement, a way of purification. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 28, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. That word ransom there has the refers to the sacrifice of atonement. All over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt of our own sins that we owe God for contributing to the evil of death in this world. The whole Old Testament of the law, the first five books, shows us this is what you must do. I'm going to tell you something that's very, um, probably new to some of you. There are two ways to heaven. There are two ways. You either live perfectly or you go to Jesus. That's it. And if you can't keep ten commands, guess where you need to go? Where I need to go. I need to go to the one, the Jesus, the one who is spoken about as the one who can keep them all, and yet he chooses to take those sins away so he can crush evil once and for all. In the New Testament, we read about Jesus as his death providing purification. We read about Jesus' blood as having this ability to wash away the vandalism of my sin, the evil that is caused around us. The Bible says that Jesus' death was not final. That he rose from the dead, which means Jesus is the sacrifice that broke the power of death and evil. Jesus is the sacrifice. Not the goats, not the sheep. Those just passed it over, carried it over for a time. Jesus is in the law. He is there to show you either live this or choose me. The whole intent was to not choose the law, but to choose God. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing to. He is the scapegoat, which carries them all the way out into the wilderness so that we don't have to be bound by them anymore. Jesus is in the law, His perfection, His standards, as well as the promise that He is not going to let us stand underneath a law we cannot keep. But He is going to take us out of that and lift us to stand on Him. Isn't it great Jesus is in the law? Isn't it great that we can see that? Jesus was that creation. He was there. He was working on it. He was doing it. And then we move into the rest of the first few books, and Jesus was there. And the whole intent is said that long before creation, God planned it, which tells me something. Before you and I were born, before we chose to sin, He was already planning to save you. What do you think that means? How do you think God feels about you then? How do you think His desire is for you? Does he want you out there in the wilderness? Does he want you just wasting away and, well, I can't come back? Or is he preparing away so much so that in the beginning of creation, before in the beginning, he said, I am already going to place my son there and he will crush evil. You and I can't do it. I can't crush evil. I'm a Bible college student and I can't crush evil. I can live in the one who already has. Isn't that awesome?
It's not based on my purification. It's not based on my atonement. It's based on Him. This year, as we look more and more at Jesus, remember, this wasn't just something that happened. This was a plan for you. You have a purpose. You have identity. Which means you have a place in Him. You've never accepted that place. You've never come and accepted God who died on the cross, who showed that these rules that we cannot live up to don't have to control and keep you. That you can let go of them and hold on to the hands who is the perfect. If you've never done that, why don't you choose that today? Why don't you choose that to let go of that per- that the evil that keeps choosing you and you choosing it and let the one who created all who wants you so much more. If you're struggling with some sins in your life, and if you say you don't, you know what I already called you. If you're struggling with sins in your life, why hide them? Why keep them? Why not go to the one who can crush the evil? The one who's already promised it. The one who holds all things together, as we saw last week. The one who is already making purification and atonement for you. Why not come to him and quit trying to do it on your own and actually allow Jesus to move in and through you the way he promised to do? You do not have to be bound by your sins. What will you choose today? Let's stand and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son. God, I actually thank you for the law. I thank you that these guidelines, these laws of purification and holiness were there to show us my inadequacies and how that I can can finally live in those ways only by coming to you. God, I thank you that you did not destroy all evil, but instead you offered up a hand to allow me to leave evil and to stand and live on your Son who is perfect. And help us, God. Help us all as a church to realize it's not about us. But as it was before creation, at creation, and even here in the law, it is about pointing our lives towards your Son. Help us this week to take that message, to share it with others, and to live in your perfection. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen.